Hello and welcome to A Couple of Goons, a hockey podcast for the modern cultured man. I'm your host, Walt Hickey. Uh, joining me, as always, is one of the foremost experts in his field, Neil Payne. Neil, h- how are you doing today? Hi, Walt. I'm doing fantastic. And I love this choice of music. It's so classy right now. Thank you. Of course. I mean, as you all know, we have been syndicated on a local national public radio station for quite some time now, uh, and this is my best NPR voice. Uh, So we have a fascinating series of topics today. Uh, First off, we're obviously going to go into Team of the Week. Uh, Next up, we're going to obviously pick out the number 15 that we most enjoy, and I'm going to actually check our little itinerary to see what we have left. Oh, it seems like today is going to be the fight episode. It is the Goons Week. The Goons are talking about Goons. Is Are you ready? We are going to be talking about glove dropping, punch throwing, Goons, stick slashing, jaw bra- It's going to be great. So, Neil, you've pulled up hockey fights. We, we, we've both huffed a lot of paint. I got a Moderna vaccine yesterday. We are ready to talk about Goons. Yes. Finally, we're living up to our namesake. Yes. I'm excited. This is going to be great. I pulled the John Cena theme song and everything. <laughs> oh, of course. I mean, you know, we, we have to. Although I'm not sure if uh, if Tom Wilson came out to that tonight. Uh... <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about why we're talking about goons. Uh, there was a very fascinating little incident that occurred recently. Um, between a very, very popular and beloved sports team called the New York Rangers and their hated rivals to the South, the Washington Capitals. Um, This was a a ludicrous display. And I guess like the thing that it made that it revealed to me is that there's a lot that I don't understand about hockey fighting because this like, you know, to an inexperienced person like myself, at first I was like watching a replay of it that was the Capitals feed and they just sounded like they were commenting on a random course of events. And then I listened on the Rangers feed and it was like, look at this ludicrous display. And so clearly there was like, um, there, there's something going on there deeper. That's just like, not all fights are made the same, that there's a culture around fights that I didn't get. And so today we're going to explore hockey fights. <laughs> well, I think also there's a culture around Tom Wilson in particular, which uh, we can also dissect because it's not a coincidence that he has been at sort of the the epicenter of pretty much all of these controversies all season it seems like or it feels like and every every season it seems like there's there's some incident involving him and people debating over whether he got uh whether he got suspended for long enough or punished enough by the league and usually feeling like he wasn't so yeah is he the Bengals defense of the NHL what like the uh the the whipping boy of everyone or just like constantly invites a lot of uh uh, very strong takes about violence within the organization yeah well i mean he himself has brought it on himself by acting uh just like a punk man i mean there's nothing else that you can say about uh tom wilson uh except that he's a big guy uh and he likes to you know, throw his weight around, but also he's dirty and he knows that, you know, he's in this, he's in this weird zone right now that I think all of hockey is in. And Greg Wyshynski actually had a good piece at um, ESPN about this, where like hockey is in this transitional period between the olden days in which you had a lot of goons, proper goons, Mm -hmm. the kind that we, you know, uh, named our show after, uh, in which this type of shit would not fly 
and somebody like Tom Wilson was considered sort of like one of these gutless punks that pretty quickly was going to have to answer to it to someone bigger than him who was willing to just beat the living crap out of him. Um, mm-hmm. But the way hockey has developed uh, recently is sort of an emphasis on skill and speed. And these are all things that we like about the game and trying to kind of de-emphasize uh, fighting, but also de-emphasize some of the dirtier elements of the game. But now you end up with a guy like Tom Wilson, who's like, he's skilled enough to play today's game. Uh, <laughs> like he's a legit talented hockey player when he's not being a fucking asshole. Uh, but w- uh, pardon my French. Uh, but, uh, when, but, but he's also like just a, um, he, he's, he's big enough that he can push around smaller players and do dirty stuff to them and not feel like he really ever has to pay the price for it because of the way that the league has changed. And, and so he's now just sort of like, it's, it's a paradise for a guy like him. If, if by paradise, your definition of paradise is feeling with, with glee being able to potentially end guys' careers uh, and, and be as dirty as possible. Uh, and this guy's rap list, if you want to go down, I mean, it's never a good sign when your Wikipedia page has an entire section called suspensions and fines. Oh, yeah. And it's like six or seven paragraphs long uh, that, that dates back many, many years. Uh, but basically this guy's been, um, doing stuff like this and we should, for people that didn't see the incident on, I think it was Monday, uh, there was a scrum behind the net, uh, between a game between the Rangers and the Caps. Uh, and I guess it was behind the Capitals net and, yeah. uh, Wilson took exception to, um, one of the Rangers kind of coming up near the goalie and there was a little bit of pushing and shoving and he came up behind, uh, Pavel Buchnevich and kind of pushed him down to the ground, cross-checked him a little bit, and then sucker punched him while he was down on the ground, which yeah. is generally frowned upon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the Rangers, best as they could, God bless them, they tried to kind of um, yeah. get back at Wilson for that. But none of the Rangers are really big, as certainly the guys on the ice at that time were really big enough or you know violent-minded enough to to make an impression with Wilson. Uh, and Artemi Panarin, who, whom we devoted a whole good episode player. to... Oh, fantastic player. Probably the, the best player on the Rangers. And often you don't see the best player. We talked about Gretzky not mm-hmm. fighting, fighting twice, I think it was, in his career. It's not really, like it's he, not really the style. Not his thing. And so uh, you don't often see a, a player uh, of, of that stature trying to kind of stick up for teammates. So it's admirable what he did. But, I mean, he's just physically overmatched by Wilson. And Wilson just picked him up and, and threw him down the ground and then picked him up again and body slammed him sort of face first into the ice. It seemed uh, ridiculous. Also. Yeah. And, and, and the referees just sort of let it happen, which uh, was uh, people criticized them. And then afterward, the Department of Player Safety, which, by the way, sounds like something out of an Orwell novel, uh, <laughs> but is actually the NHL's uh, group that's responsible for figuring out fines, suspensions, all of that. They went really light on Wilson, especially considering the fact that he has this super long track record. Yes, they fined him $5,000, which I believe was the um, the maximum under the collective bargaining agreement, um, but really didn't give him much more than that. He, I think, got a two-minute minor during the game. He didn't get suspended uh, uh, for any games based on what happened, and he had been suspended for seven games for a hit in March earlier this season. Um, so the, uh, they're supposed to take into account a player's track record of mm. um of incidents when they're sort of uh thinking about these things and theoretically 
escalate the suspensions to try to kind of discourage it in the future. But instead, they've kind of ended up enabling Tom Wilson. And of course, it didn't help that the Capitals Twitter feed put out like this sort of trolling, like ode to violence, uh, uh, which was not, as they say, not a good look. Well, so then what um, happened with like the Rangers put out a statement that was like yes. this blows? What because that seems that seems to cause a much bigger kerfuffle than I thought such a thing would cause. Yeah, so apparently the the Rangers when they found out that Tom Wilson hadn't really been suspended uh, for what he had done, they put out this statement that criticized directly George Peros, who himself is a former goon, we should say. He's mm-hmm. part of the goon fraternity, but now he's in charge of the Department of Player Safety. Uh, and basically, <laughs> kind of called, funny. I mean, it is kind of funny. Uh, and basically, <laughs> uh, <in> situation. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, called <laughs> for him to be fired, which you don't always see from teams in official statements. And the theory uh, is that this is James Dolan, the owner of the Rangers. And of course the much maligned owner of the Knicks, this is the type of thing that he would do if this were the Knicks. So there's the uh-huh. idea that he did this for the Rangers. Oh, uh, who reminded Rangers, him that he owns the Rangers. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, uh, I was joking with, uh, with uh, some folks earlier that like, the only reason why the Rangers have periodically been good and competitive over the past couple decades is just the fact that Jim Dolan mostly doesn't care about hockey and mostly forgets that he owns them uh, and is mostly focused on the basketball uh, because otherwise he would meddle them into the ground too. But um, yeah, so basically the front office for the Rangers, so this is uh, John Davidson, who's the president of the organization and Jeff Gorton, who's the general manager, they kind of distance themselves from those, uh, the, the statement. Um, and then uh, as if by clockwork today, it was announced that John Davidson and Jeff Gorton were fired from the Rangers and that Chris Drury would be taking over as um, president and GM. And so the Rangers tried to spin this and, you know, or through reporters uh, leaked this idea that, well, they were, you know, thinking about, they weren't happy with the rebuild. They were, wanting to move on from Davidson, who, by the way, is super respected um, in the game, longtime kind of commentator, longtime goalie in the league, um, and and, uh, longtime executive, that they were looking to move on from that. But I don't know how many people buy that. I mean, the Rangers, yes, they're going to miss the playoffs. Uh, Those 3% odds that you talked about last week have have evaporated. But they have diminished. (laughs) <laughs> but at the same time, they, uh, I think, have, by finishing the season so strong, I think you could, it's fair to say that they've kind of at least met, if not exceeded, expectations uh, this season. They have a higher ELO rating than they did in preseason, for instance. They uh, Their rebuild really started just a few years ago uh, when they basically gutted the whole team uh, after you know, a fair amount of success earlier in the decade. And now they've really retooled and added um, through drafting and developing and also, you know, trading. Uh, They've added a bunch of really exciting, relatively young players that you can kind of build around in the future, uh, including Buchnevich, including Panarin, including Adam Fox, who's getting a lot of attention as maybe the best defenseman in the league. Um, uh, and, and so there's a lot of building blocks uh, for this team. I didn't even mention Alexi Lafreniere. So uh, there, it doesn't 
hold a lot of water for me, this idea that they were thinking about moving on or unhappy the rebuild. I think the rebuild has gone great. I think they look like um, they'll be a, a good playoff contender next year. And so you have to think that it maybe the subtext is that it really did have something to do with um, not being fully on board. And you can understand, I mean, that's, you know, I never want to defend Jim Dolan, but you can understand in theory where the Rangers are coming from on this, because as we remarked, as we were going to air, tuning into this game tonight between yeah. <laughs> which of course it's between the rangers and capitals of course it's between it's them. really good um and getting to see insta fights between just pretty much everyone uh, on the rangers wanting to fight tom wilson like the it's second so he gets fun. out on the ice and everyone on the rangers wanting to fight just every capital they could find to the point that the capital the penalty box was so packed with with capitals it was like it was a it turned into a clown car um that you know this is the consequence though that the league probably doesn't want and and doesn't um doesn't really approve of is this idea that well if the league's not going to take care of it and the referees aren't going to take care of it you kind of have left no choice but for the rangers themselves to take care of uh to defend their honor which is some like um, uh, wild west shit that seems weird <laughs> yeah it really is and that's the way uh hockey was played we'll get we'll get to we'll get to the time. all in a bit but like yeah. mainly it's just like this scenario is ridiculous and i'm a little worried that like it's like that like like person knocking over tiny domino meme for big domino it's just like like somebody accidentally gets too close to the caps goalie and then several dominoes later like decade-long title drought <laughs> like <laughs> yeah uh that you know, given the Rangers do have a long history of decade-long title droughts anyway, I think they're probably going to be used to it. <laughs> but uh, at the same time, you know, I don't think it reflects well on anybody, um, but particularly not the Capitals because they, you know, they're going to go to the playoffs. They're a contender to win the Cup, and a lot of attention is going to be put on Wilson. Um, and, you know... I don't think that it's on the team to necessarily suspend a player that the league didn't want to suspend or whatever, but they also have to recognize that like this, this bullshit is part of a long pattern with him. Um, and it just doesn't really belong in the league anymore. You know, in my opinion, that's just my opinion, you know, but uh, I, I just, uh, I think uh because of all the factors that we just talked about, um, they've given this like really fertile ground for somebody like Tom Wilson to just come in and basically you talk about foxes in the hen house, you know, there are no <laughs> other foxes to kind of uh, dissuade him from that or whatever the metaphor is. Uh, and so he feels like he can do whatever he wants. And he's just a, he's a cheap shot artist and, um, and a dirty player. Yeah. Um, but so... how do I really feel about Tom Wilson? You know, how do you really feel about that? Yeah, I'm really interested to hear, like, how, like, you know, once we get to the kind of history of this, because, like, it seemed like goons were a very big part of the team league for a while, but, like, now you don't really see them as much. And it's interesting that, like, you know, it's one of those situations where, like, if you're the mammal that, su- that survived the, like, asteroid that destroyed the dinosaurs, then you're obviously going to take over. And, and like, there's not going to be yeah. anything to rein you in. And so it's interesting, like, um, if that's just kind of what's going on with, with the league on that front. We have a, we're like 15 minutes in. Who's the team of the week real quick? <laughs> <laughs> yes. By the way, thank you for uh, fulfilling team of the week duties uh, last week. Even if it was a, uh, I did such rather, a bad job with rather team of the week. biased, rather biased pick, but I thought that was okay. Um, 
Uh, I think, uh, yeah, Emil- a shout out to Emily and Tyler as well. You guys did great uh, on the show. <laughs> really enjoyed listening to it uh, as I was recovering from my co- my own COVID uh, vaccine. Like I texted you, Walt, I was like, a true hockey player would have fought through this and podcasted. <laughs> so it's sort of like a really a, te- a question uh, to my bona fides. But in fairness, I did spend Wednesday of last week feeling like I had been cross-checked from behind by uh, Tom Wilson. So <laughs> anyway, the team of the week this week, I'm going to give it, you know, sometimes we, uh, we give ourselves leeway, right, with these. Yeah. So it, it doesn't have to be the team that technically gained the most points of ELO, which of course would be the New Jersey Devils, who, who by the way, are your avowed rivals as a Ranger fan. Yes. I have no animosity toward them, but they're, they're just not a good team. They're not going to make the playoffs. You know, I mean, they've had a good uh, little stretch at the end of the season. Maybe they can build on that or whatever. But I want to focus on a team that is going to the playoffs, and that is the Carolina Hurricanes, uh, who are on a nice little win streak right now. Most recently, they beat the Blackhawks 6-3. to three. They've gained eight points of ELO in the last week. That's uh, second behind the Devils. Uh, they've also gained 13 points in the last two weeks. Uh, that's uh, third behind the Maple Leafs and the Oilers. Uh, and it should be noted, the Hurricanes have a 96% chance of winning this, the Central Division. This is a division that they share with the defending champion Tampa Bay Lightning, who were sort of our cup favorites for most of the first half of the year. But guess who is probably almost certainly going to win that division? It's the Carolina Hurricanes, and because of that, they have the highest probability of any team in the league to make the second round because uh, they have a 70.4% chance of making the second round because as the number one seed in the Central, they're going to get matched up with the fourth seed in the Central who, uh, as we've talked about, is probably not going to be a very good team. It looks like it's probably right. going to be the Predators with a 94% chance to make the playoffs, but still an outside shot for the stars it's not it doesn't look good for them but either of those teams you know are not necessarily the cream of the crop uh right now uh and so carolina even though perhaps elo doesn't think they're the best team in the central division it still thinks the lightning are uh it does think that they're going to win the division and because of that they'll have like probably a nice path to be set up to uh to make the second round uh, and because of that, also, they have roughly the same odds of making the third round as the Lightning uh, nice. at, at about 37 percent apiece for both of them. So I'm, I'm looking at Carolina. This is a team that I've been high on. Uh, I don't know if we went on record with it earlier in the season, but um, when I used to do so, I used to do a weekly radio hit with uh, the TSN affiliate in Winnipeg. Uh, that's a real thing that happened until they, uh, the plug got pulled on their station, which was very unfortunate, but my Stanley cup, uh, finals pick going into the season was Carolina against Colorado. Now I had Colorado winning. Um, but I, I've, I've had a great <laughs> feeling about Carolina, uh, all season. So I'm going to give them team of the week nod heading into, uh, I think probably we'll have one more episode before the playoffs start, or we'll be like right on the edge. I think the no- the North still needs to settle its business because of the um, <laughs> the Vancouver situation uh, that shall not be named uh, from earlier. The in the Vancouver year. situation would be a pretty good band name, like an indie band. The Vancouver <laughs> situation. Oh, of course, yes. Um, right up there, or or the name of like an '80s um, sci-fi movie, like the sequel to the Philadelphia <laughs> Experiment. The Vancouver yeah. situation. Um, You've but spread anyways, the China syndrome. Now the Vancouver situation. Yes, <laughs> of course. Yes. Um, so uh, that that I think um, 
we'll we'll probably have like a playoff preview uh when we talk next uh yeah. or kind of deep dive on that but i think going into our final regular season probably team of the week uh should be carolina they're they're looking good sweet that sounds fun i uh i, I like them i am going to they're one of my three playoff teams is what i've kind of decided oh yeah who are the other yeah. two it's them ottawa and then i'm still deciding on the the weast uh but I'll get back to you on that Ottawa? soon. Oh, no, I'm uh, sorry, got, not Ottawa. I've got bad Edmonton, about Edmonton. The, the other voweled <laughs> uh, Canadian one. Yes, Edmonton, yeah, I'm sorry. Okay, Edmonton <laughs> will make the playoffs. I was going to be like, you know, I, I've got some bad news to break to you about the Senators. <laughs> no, Oilers, Ottawa, sorry. Um, Edmonton Oilers. Because we talked that Edmonton they have like Oilers. a connection to the Rangers. That is neat. Um, yes, that's right. I remember that. And you guys yeah. also praised their jerseys last week. We thought that their jerseys were sick. Yeah, we were pretty up yeah. on their jerseys. And uh, like those oil drop yeah. logo. <laughs> now, is climate change an existential threat? Absolutely. But do I think the Oilers can take it? Yeah, are I think the that Oilers, they can do it. <laughs> Yeah, are the Oilers contributing to that? Maybe, possibly. Listen, Although it, it can be vegetable oil. They have not felt that is true. Yes, uh, they have. They have not fully felt the the effects of uh, climate change in Edmonton. Uh, if if you've spent a winter in Edmonton, you probably have not. Don't know global warming is happening. Yes, um, given that I have never worked on an oil sand in my life, I have not spent a winter in in, in Edmonton. Um, <laughs> the uh, but yeah, I like them, and then I'm I'm leaning towards Vegas. I think that Vegas could be yeah. fun in the West. Um, oh yeah, but we'll see how that. We'll see if anything catches my eye. But um, but yeah, and then so you know you weren't here last week, so I was not about to pull. At a number fifteen out of my out of my ass, but uh, this week have you got a number sixteen in mind? <laughs> Wait, are we on sixteen or fifteen? The episode says sixteen, but this the might be the fifteenth episode. Which episode is this? <laughs> I, I love that we're figuring out this uh, on air. Uh, no, I, I think uh, sixteen is more interesting anyway. I mean, fifteen it's the sixteenth has... episode. Good, I'm glad because sixteen gives us a chance to uh, pay tribute to. The Golden Brett, Brett Hull. There's actually a, a shit ton of great players who wore number 16, including Marcel Dion, Bobby Clark of the Philadelphia Flyers, whom you may have seen grinning without his front teeth. Uh, speaking of goons, I mean, he himself was not necessarily a goon, but man, he played with a lot of goons, and the Flyers were goons <laughs> back in those days. Uh, Andre Richard, so we talked about um, uh, Maurice Richard, uh, who was huh. the Rocket who had the yeah. Rocket Richard riot. Well, his brother, Henri Richard, uh, <laughs> wore number 16, and his nickname was the Pocket Rocket. Fun fact. Uh, Amazing. Pat Fontaine wore number 16. He uh, was was a great player for the um, Sabres, later played for the Rangers, had a little bit of a post-concussion syndrome problem, and his career kind of got cut short. Um, but yeah, I got to go with Brett Hull, uh, the Golden Brett. So Brett Hull's father, Bobby Hull, was a also one of the all-time leading scorers and best players ever with the Chicago Blackhawks in like the 50s and 60s. Uh, and, and he uh, helped, I think, develop the first like curved stick blade uh, back in the day where they like broke a stick uh, and kind of got it crooked. And then they realized, holy shit, we can really kind of sling the puck with this and the goalies uh, don't know where it's going and they also fear the velocity of it. So his father <laughs> scored a ton of goals and so then his son entered the league in the 80s uh, and 
just had an incredible start to his career. So uh, Brett Hall, in I think he started his career with Calgary and then went to the St. Louis Blues and was most known for his play with the Blues. So uh, in 1990, he scored 72 goals. Remember, Gretzky's all-time record is 92. At the, uh, well, still is. But at that point, it had been set. <laughs> um, uh, but 70 goals was kind of the all-time record or around that before Gretzky came along. So this mm-hmm. guy comes out at age 25, scores 72 goals. Then the next year, uh, he scores 86 goals uh, in a season, <laughs> which I believe is still second or maybe third, like Mary Lemieux and, and Hull uh, are, are neck and neck for second behind Gretzky's record. Uh, and then he comes out in 92 and he scores 70 again. So he had three straight 70 plus goal seasons, which is crazy to have, uh, especially since the last of those came kind of later on, 10 years after Gretzky set the 90, uh, the, the 92 goal record, uh, when offense was starting to kind of die down, uh, he scored his last 50 goal season in 1994. He had 57 goals that year, never, uh, quite as prolific a scorer after that, but he did, uh, have a bunch of 30 plus goal seasons after that. He won a Stanley cup in 1999 with the Dallas stars in which he scored the cup winning goal by, uh, possibly, violating the NHL's rules by being in the crease, which was not allowed at that time when the winning goal was scored, but they allowed it anyway. And Buffalo fans are still pretty upset about that. Never mention Brett Hall or <laughs> being in the crease uh, to a Sabres fan or they'll, they'll get mad at you. Uh, he also won a <laughs> cup with, uh, with the Detroit Red Wings after leaving Dallas. Uh, he joined the really ridiculously stacked 2002 Detroit Red Wings team. Uh, that just kind of rolled to the Stanley Cup over the Carolina Hurricanes, uh, in fact. Um, and uh, Brett Hull finished his career. Let me look up the overall uh, number of goals that he has, because he's got to be among the all-time uh, leaders in career goals. Uh, yeah, he had 741 goals, which is fourth all-time uh, behind Gretzky, Gordie Howe, and Yarmer Yager. Alex Ovechkin is... Uh, Within 11 goals uh, of Hull, there's probably not enough time left this season uh, unless Ovechkin goes on an ungodly tear in the last like few games (laughs) for him to catch up. But uh, he'll probably pass him uh, next season. But for now, Brett Hull, uh, he's our number 16 uh, for episode number 16 and uh, really one of the all-time snipers. Uh, to play in in the game. When When you score as many goals as he has, you're a certified sniper. (laughs) that's fun so i know that so we're gonna talk about fighting today um i know so we've talked a little bit about before where like fighting has always been present in hockey like we talked about the lady bing trophy and how it was directly invented in the 20s as a counterpoint to fighting in hockey and uh so that kind of leads me to believe that this has been a fairly institutional you know component of the sport so i guess like what like it goes back to the beginning, I imagine, that they just never got around to saying, by the way, don't fight each other. And as a result, here we stand. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that, um, you know, fighting in hockey is pretty much as old as uh, the sport itself, uh, which is interesting because we don't see fighting being allowed in 
pretty much any of the other sports that uh, at least not the major ones that, that we tend to kind of follow. Like it, it is funny that when you fight in uh, basketball, for instance, you get suspended for a good number of games if you just yeah. fight like once and they try to kind of put the kibosh on that um, really quickly. Uh, uh, whereas in hockey, you could fight like with some frequency and never really get suspended for it uh, unless you were like, you know, rampantly instigating fights. Uh, so it, it is a different culture. And I think it does maybe stem from this idea of like, uh, kind of Canadian sort of like, uh, the, the, the gentleman's rules of like, you know, actual like boxing, you know, the idea of settling things like, like men with, with your fists and, and, you know, kind of, we don't need these referees to, to adjudicate our, our on ice, uh, disagreements. We, we do it, <laughs> we do it with our fists, you know? And so I do think that, uh, it, it also sort of took on a life of its own as, the game uh, grew and developed uh, and, and it took a certain amount of romance to it. You know, this idea <laughs> that, um, that, that you were fighting for your, uh, your teammates fighting for, you know, the honor of your, of your team or whatever. It is interesting though, that the fighting was, was not all that common uh, during most of the like original six era. Yes, there were, certainly notable fights like we talked about the Maurice Richard um uh fights or the the Gordie Howe fight where he basically like ended a guy's career or whatever it was like you know guys guys would fight um but also you have to remember that during the original six era there were only six teams and so the degree of like the you know nth best player in the league like the worst player in the league even was so much better just like by definition <laughs> there were like so few spots for world-class hockey players that everybody in the league it's a it's almost a little bit the way that the game is now where you had to you had to actually be sort of like skilled in addition to being tough uh to play but uh, a lot of historians have said that when expansion hit the nhl in the 1960s you suddenly had a lot more spots in um, the the game. And so you did have a place in the game more and more for guys that maybe they, you know, it's like the movie Goon, where it's like a guy that maybe can't skate that well, maybe isn't that skilled, but is a good fighter, that uh, th- there was more of a place for those types in the game. And of course, you do have the Philadelphia Flyers, um, the Broad Street Bullies, who uh, were they were an expansion team in the um, late 60s, like when they finally opened up the league to, hey, maybe we should expand beyond these uh, six teams, these six cities uh, that we've had teams in exclusively all downhill for the last, from like, there. 30 years. A lot of purists would say it was all downhill from there, but the Flyers, they won I'm the cup. I'm purist. In- <laughs> You are an, uh, you, you're an automatic purist. Um, I have to be. Yeah, that's uh, what I you have to be. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, but the Flyers, they won the Cup in uh, 1974. That was their, um, like, I don't know, sixth year in the league or something like that. Uh, and they did it in this, like, really aggressive, bruising style uh, in which opponents get this so i don't have penalty minutes they don't list those uh, at um at a team level for hockey reference uh, if by season 
But the Flyers gave opponents 422 power play opportunities, presumably many of which were due to, you know, roughing penalties. I mean, for fighting, this kind of understates it because for fighting, usually both guys go to the box and it's not necessarily a power play. Um, Right. But but the Flyers' opponents had 422 power play chances in 1974, which was by far the most in the league. In fact, it was 100 (laughs) more than any other team had in the league. The second most only had 313. Uh, And the difference between the Flyers and the second place Blues was the same as the difference between the Blues and like the 14th or 15th place team uh, out of 16 (laughs) teams. So the Flyers were just like, and by the way, they were the best team in the league. They won the Stanley Cup that year. They didn't They didn't care that they were giving so many uh, uh, chances to opponents on, on the power play through their, they did all right. you know, <laughs> goonish. Yeah, their goonish, goonish kind of uh, ruffian type behavior. But they just basically uh, revolutionized the league in kind of a fight centric direction uh, where by the 1980s, there's a stat in Wikipedia that said that the um, the number of fights per game in the NHL uh, peaked at 1.17 in 1984. So this was you're Holy still shit. seeing the influence ten years later. That means yeah, there was a, a fight, fight a game. A game more than a fight a game in the Impressive. NHL uh, at that point. Uh, and uh, I believe there was one game in which. Uh, the record for most penalty minutes was set uh, around that time. Uh, I think like 250 penalty minutes uh, between across like all the players. Mind you, there are not 250 minutes in a hockey game. Uh, no. <laughs> there's only there's only 60. Uh, they had to like sleep it off was... the next game. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know whether there were like suspensions or something afterward. I mean, surely there must have been something. But basically, just like a bunch of bench clearing brawls and a bunch of fights and what they call line brawls, which we saw a line brawl earlier today with um, the, the Capitals great. and the Rangers, which basically the whole line fights the other team's line, uh, and so. Um, <laughs> That that was sort of the the era, the heyday of um, goons and enforcers. These guys that um, their sole job was to kind of come in and keep the peace uh, and uh, through violent means, of course. <laughs> um, but uh, you saw guys like you know Dave the Hammer Schultz was on the was the enforcer for those fires, and he's in 1975 he set the all time record for most penalty minutes in the season with 472 <laughs> penalty minutes that year. That's... He also had a he also had a 405 penalty minute season in 1978. So uh, he he was uh, has multiple of the greatest penalty seasons of all time. That's like several games. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> Yeah, 472 penalty minutes uh, is the equivalent of spending 7.9 consecutive games in the penalty box. <laughs> so <laughs> it really, like all game, like from, from yeah. whistle to whistle. Um, so, you know, you saw those guys. Uh, Bob Probert was another big time enforcer uh, in 1988. He had 398 penalty minutes. Marty McSorley, who is a infamous goon uh, in 1993 while being Gretzky's protector slash enforcer he had 399 penalty minutes in 1993 so you know it was the golden age of these guys that uh, were were big time enforcers Ty Domi who I believe we have our um, podcast logo is Ty Domi getting into a scrap with somebody I don't know who who the other fighter is 
it is the I think I believe it is the actual I took it from Wikipedia because it was open and it is a uh, yes. just I think the actual image on the page like hockey fight. <laughs> like <laughs> like it is the like like for all future generations okay. it is the concept of a hockey fight. I see. So it's Sean Thornton against Wade Brookbank. I'm seeing it now. Our Twitter image is Tidomi. That's what I'm thinking ah, of what... uh, on that. Yes, of course. But Tidomi uh third all time in penalty minutes behind uh, Tiger Williams and Dale Hunter, uh, and and really his era, 1989 to 2006, I think is like pretty emblematic of the the era of the goon, really taking the you know ca- kind of coming to center stage uh, in the NHL, and it's been sort of downhill since he retired, and not specifically because of him, but I think the forces of the league after the lockout after the event. Uh, which yes. we still have to talk about. Um, uh, and, and the league opened up um, offensive play a lot more with rule changes and also uh, just a concerted effort, particularly after it became clear, certainly with the NFL, I think, first, uh, but then realizing in the NHL as well that there's a real head injury problem in hockey. And it's no coincidence that a lot of the guys that show up as the all-time penalty minute leaders uh, have had a lot of problems with, you know, mental health, substance abuse, uh, just, just all kinds of uh, like chronic pain and, and uh, addiction uh, to painkillers and things like that. uh, Because it's a very, it was a brutal life. Uh, I remember reading a story about the role of the enforcer in Sports Illustrated in the late 90s about talking to um, one of the enforcers that was like, I throw up, uh, you know, out of out of anxiety and, um, you know, just fear every night before I play because I know I'm going to have to go out there and fight somebody and get my, you know, face punched by some some other massive human being. And it just was not a healthy um it, it was not a healthy way to live and not a healthy part of the game. Uh, and so gradually we've seen fighting go down. You know, I said it was one point, what did I say? 1.2 fights per game in the Something like that. Yeah, about 1.17, yeah. I think. Right. So now, uh, even I, I'm sure it's even lower now, but um, as, as recently as like five years ago, there were only 0.3 fights per game. Um, that's more reasonable uh, in the league so really like yeah once every three games you'd see uh, see a fight instead of every game plus um and so i think that that really speaks to the fact that a lot of the goon types have been phased out of the game because they don't have they didn't have the skating ability the speed the skill to stick around in the game and play as it became more more of an emphasis on you know, the, the more finesse aspects of the game. Uh, and I think the role of analytics has also played a, a, a role in that where um, starting in like maybe the mid two, uh, 2010s, there was a, I remember there was one summer where just like anybody who had a hockey stats website uh, got snapped up by a team uh, front office, <laughs> like all the same summer. I think it was like 2014 or 2015 or something like that. Uh, and, Really, since then, uh, teams have been building up their analytics departments. They've been trying to figure out better ways to play. And a lot of the um, a lot of the best practices that have kind of come out of the data are sort of tell a story about 
being less physical and really more about uh, finesse and, and carrying the puck into the zone and, um, you know, uh, not dumping it into the zone and then using your size and, and, you know, physicality to go chase it and get it back. Um, uh, and, and certainly fighting just doesn't really make sense when you're fourth line, you know, in the past, especially during the eighties, your fourth line was a place where you stashed just the, the kind of physical guys, uh, and, and the goons that really wouldn't even play that much, but now the teams roll four lines deep. They can't afford to have guys that really don't have, you know, waste a roster spot basically on a guy that isn't going to contribute anything offensively probably isn't even going to contribute that much defensively. And the only thing he's there for is to try to, you know, beat up other players. Uh, so it's a little bit like, it's like this, like nuclear D dismantling, you know, this <laughs> mutually assured destruction from the cold war met its sort of detente. Uh, and the Soviet union has, uh, has broken up and the, 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 the cold war is over. And now you're kind of having this, this de-escalation uh, of things, but like we have been talking about somebody like Tom Wilson is sort of the, you know, he's like Kim Jong-il. He's the North Korea. (laughs) He's the North Korea of this metaphor where it's sort of like, okay, the, the big countries, uh, the superpowers agreed a long time ago. We're not going to do this anymore, but you know, here comes this, this kind of nut job that's out here. Like, you know, (laughs) I've got nukes too, and I'm going to use them. Respect me. Uh, so yeah, maybe this is the first time Tom Wilson has ever been compared to Kim Jong-il or Kim Jong-un, uh, not without merit though, given his, um, (laughs) his behavior. (laughs) Amazing. I, um, I'm kind of, so I'm interested about like, again, you've, you've talked about how his behavior is, is not great. And like, what I'm kind of interested in is like, and this maybe goes back a ways, but clearly it's kind of a part of this is just like, what is like the, like the chivalry of fighting in hockey? Cause it's clear, like both people need to agree to be into a fight or else it's fucked up. Like, I guess I'm kind of interested in like, you know, we joked about dropping the gloves, but like, what are like, what is a hockey fight? And like, what is just a guy beating up a, a nice man who's trying to make money? <laughs> Cause they're both like the, the, the distinguishing factor is clearly some component of consent and some component of interest. And, and, and you know, there's clearly a time and a place for it. But I guess what I'm kind of wondering is like, what's the code here? <laughs> like, well, I think the biggest code is sort of like boxing where you're going to fight people in your same weight class, right? Mm. Like you're, you know, especially when there were these designated goons on a team, uh, you, if you took a cheap shot at Wayne Gretzky, for instance, you weren't going to necessarily fight Wayne Gretzky, but you probably were going to fight Marty McSorley. And if you <laughs> didn't fight Marty McSorley, which of course, according to the code, if you had done something egregious to mm-hmm. Gretzky, for instance, then you would definitely have to answer personally to McSorley. But if you did something maybe like a little more run of the mill or whatever, if it wasn't intentional or if just things needed to kind of be settled, then your goon and every team had one of these guys, designated fighter guys, uh, you know, your Bob Probert or your Ty Domi uh, or whomever would your Donald Brashear would go over and, uh, you know, basically there would be this kind of unspoken or maybe it was even spoken uh, agreement, uh, understanding that, okay, this is when, you know, my goon fights your goon and we sort of uh, have that serve as like, 
country justice or whatever you want to call it, uh, frontier justice. <laughs> what is uh, this? The, between the two teams to try to kind of de-escalate things with the implicit knowledge that, yeah, if you cross the line, a particularly, you know, egregious line, then suddenly Ty Domi's not going to fight the fight for you. You're going to fight the fight against Marty McSorley, who's about six foot six and weighs 250 pounds and has fought everybody in the league. And these guys would, you know, they would go about the circuit, you know, they, uh, like each goon, if they had been in the league for a long time, they would have fighting. They, they would have fought all of the other goons uh, <laughs> at least once, and they would know, like, okay, well, the book on this guy is he likes to take his jersey off, and that's a thing. Also, is Wait, um, oh yeah, yeah, it's a lot easier uh, to to win a fight if you're not wearing your jersey because it doesn't give them anything to hang on to so a lot of the fighters would uh you know normally your jersey is on pretty securely you've got pads maybe you've like tied your jersey up or whatever but they would uh sometimes like make it not not necessarily like a tearaway jersey but try to kind of make it as easy as possible to get the jersey off earlier in a fight you can't take it off yourself but you have to sort of like wiggle out of it while you're in the fight with the other guy but whoever gets the jersey off first suddenly gets a, a lot um a lot of an advantage in the fight so there was an art in addition and a science in addition to the brutality <laughs> uh, of of the hockey fight back in the day and there were all kinds of you know i don't think it reached the level of if you ever saw the movie slap shot they would wrap their their knuckles in um uh, in aluminum foil or whatever <laughs> under the gloves so that their punches uh hurt more when they when they inevitably got into a fight i don't think that was happening in the nhl uh but uh there there was like an art and a science to it uh and uh yeah it was the general code was just like basically don't do dirty stuff, by the way, or you're going to have to um, be be called on account for that. And a great example is, and maybe we've talked about this, was the Colorado Avalanche and the Detroit Red Wings feud in which Claude we Lemieux, did talk about this. This is great. Who was not really a fighter. He was he was a dirty player. I mean, I think he would maybe even admit that. Um, <laughs> but when he crossed the line, he knew he had crossed the line when he uh, hit Chris Draper of the Red Wings from behind and, and broke his face. Uh, and they didn't get a chance to settle it. By the way, also, traditionally, there is not really that much fighting in the playoffs, uh, which mm. is when this incident took place, uh, because you can't really afford to, you know, it's more important to kind of uh, avoid penalties uh, when you're trying to win the cup. Right. So, uh, Lemieux had done this. They never really got a chance to get their revenge. And the next season, uh, uh, Darren McCarty, who was very talented player, almost not, not unlike a Tom Wilson in terms of the mix of skill and, and sort of physicality, but he was sort of the fighter for the Red Wings at that time. And he was, uh, like Lemieux, it was understood that because Lemieux did that, it wasn't going to be the avalanches, uh, enforcer against, uh, Draper or, uh, against McCarty, uh, and it wasn't going to be Lemieux versus Draper, even though Draper was the one who was wrong. It was going to be it was going to be Lemieux versus McCarty in the first regular season game that they played against each other the next year. And Lemieux understood this, uh, but in the end, he turtled. He he kind of ducked down and put his hands <laughs> over his head as McCarty wailed away at him. Uh, and it sort of taught him a lesson. Although there were more fights in that um, in in that rivalry later on, but it was basically this idea that. And Tom Wilson, you saw it, you know, the Rangers, for instance, they don't 
have necessarily someone like Tom Wilson is second in the league in penalty minutes behind only Max Domi, ironically enough, Ty Domi's son, uh, who plays for the Blue Jackets uh, this season. But uh, the Rangers leader in penalty minutes uh, isn't even on the Rangers right now. Uh, Brendan Lemieux, uh, I believe, was traded to the Kings, and he's still their leader in penalty minutes this season. Yeah, so the, the have... local tabloids have strongly implied that we're kind of Weenie Hut Jr. in terms of uh, having players <laughs> on the roster capable of yeah, fighting. Well... Exactly. They don't necessarily have someone that uh, would go toe to toe with Tom Wilson and kind of teach him a lesson. Uh, And so that is kind of indicative of where the league is right now in terms of the way that it's changed where in the past, the Rangers would definitely have a guy that could go out when Tom Wilson does his um, his nonsense and put an end to it pretty quickly. Um, and, And and. Ironically enough, like I said, George Peros, uh, who is the director of uh, player safety or whatever, um, he was a guy that would fight back in the day, like on the Anaheim uh, Ducks team uh, that I believe uh, won the cup. Uh, he, he was a uh, kind of a, a tough guy for them. Uh, and the next year for the um, Ducks, he had, well, let's, uh, let's put it this way. When, so when he went to the Ducks in 2007, he played the first part of the season with Colorado, and then he played 32 games in the regular season with the Ducks. He had 102 penalty minutes in 32 <laughs> games. So we're talking about this guy. Uh, if you uh, if you prorate that That's like over four an and entire, a half minutes game, uh, yeah, over an entire regular season, that would be 261 in 82 games, 261 penalty minutes, which uh, itself would rank. Uh, among, uh, what is that, the top 200 seasons roughly of all time in terms of single-season penalty minutes. Uh, And this was in an era in which penalty minutes were kind of being, you know, fighters were being kind of scaled back. So George Peros, better than anybody, should understand the the dynamics at play here and and what is and is not being incentivized and what message is being sent, perhaps, by not coming down hard on a guy who, um, who, who really, you know, I think... People have said this, and I agree with it uh, over the past few days. Like, Tom Wilson is not going to stop doing this until he seriously injures someone or ends their career. Mm. Uh, Because he has not really been given any kind of reason by any of the powers that be to stop doing it. And a great example, I go back to Marty McSorley, uh, who in his heyday was an absolutely fearsome, you know, in addition to being a fighter, was like a good, tough, you know, defensive-minded defenseman who played a role on a lot of winning teams. But by the end of his career, he was a guy that was just desperately trying to hang on to his role as an enforcer because he couldn't really keep up in in any other area of the game. And uh, he tried to fight another one of the all-time great goons, Donald Brashear uh, of the Canucks, in a game in 2000. And Brashear, I believe, had already beaten him in a fight earlier in that game and didn't want to fight him afterward. There's no reason to fight him uh, again at that point. Uh, And so McSorley, because Brashear would not fight with him and McSorley was so desperate to try to kind of keep a job in the NHL through whatever means possible, he swung his stick and he hit Brashear in the back of the head. Uh, In the like final seconds of this game, it was totally just dirty, uh, and horrible and and uh, should never have happened. But Bashir had a concussion, hit his head on the ice, and McSorley was actually charged with assault 
he was suspended yeah. for the rest of the season. I believe never played in the NHL ever again. But he was convicted uh, of assault with a weapon in um, in Canada. And uh, I don't know that he went to jail, but he was sentenced to probation. It looks like uh, yeah. on that. Uh, and so uh, he he never played again in the NHL after that. But it was this very sad end, pathetic end to the career of a goon and just sort of showed how, you know, the, the, the feeling was this desperation to stay in the league, to stay relevant. Uh, and it ended up really hurting Donald Brashear and, um, you know, causing physical damage to another player because of the way that, um, the culture that, that had incited, um, McSorley to do that. And the fact that McSorley had never really been, you know, punished that much, certainly not in a court of law, uh, for the fighting that he had engaged in and a lot of the other behavior that he had engaged in for, for so many years. So in a lot of ways, you can kind of see that like, unless Tom Wilson is sent some kind of message that like, this isn't okay. Uh, he, he's just going to keep doing it until he really crosses a line that y- you, you can't cross. Yeah. And so I guess, so you, you've, you alluded to like the thing that really kind of knocked the goons out from being a kind of key part of the league was the rise of analytics and analytics that rewarded things specifically that were not fighting. Like how much was that era? Kind of, like that was contemporaneous with like the slap shot, right? So it was like the strategy to go after like that. Like, like how did the, the change in strategy kind of really make it vestigial, I guess is my question. Well, I think the change would have happened anyway and had kind of already started happening anyway. I don't want to give analytics like all the credit for it because, like I said, the rule changes. I mean, obviously, I love to give analytics credit for everything. Uh, But the rule changes in in 2005 coming out of the lockout uh, and the the way they got rid of the two-line pass, I think they expanded some of the area in um, the the offensive zones uh, and, and tried to be more diligent about calling you know, holding and, and interference and things like that to try to give more space to the more skilled players, uh, put a premium on having skill. And of course, the guys that were doing the clutching and the grabbing and the interfering mm. were the guys that were slower and less skilled and, and you know, maybe more in the league for their their toughness and, and dare I say, goonery. Uh, and or just so, willingness to, to risk it. Because like if you're, a, I guess, a bubble player, and you're offered the goon slot like that. I imagine that's a fairly attractive offer. No. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You, do, you don't say no when that, uh, when that comes up. So I think uh, it was just the confluence of, I think three trends, the rule changes after 2005, um, the, the game, like the realization of something that probably we all should have known all along that head injuries are a thing in hockey. And uh, especially when somebody like Sidney Crosby started getting a lot of concussions and you could see a guy that was, you know, rightly hailed as the next Gretzky potentially having his career cut short by that, that got a lot of people's attention and a lot of, um, you know, my uh, attention on reforming uh, policies to try to discourage, you know, a lot of the physicality that went into creating those concussions. And then of course, yeah, I think um, the, the cherry on top was the increased emphasis on analytics uh, and the realization that depth in terms of talent is a lot more important now than it was back in the 1990s. And um, the, the fact that your fourth liners have to be skilled also, uh, they can't just be guys (laughs) that are kind of wasting roster spots or taking up space. Um, those have all conspired to make goons 
sort of a, a largely a thing of the past. But again, you're going to get a lot of people and you're getting it this week arguing that, you know, there was a reason why there was that sort of frontier justice element and that the goons, the threat of a goon put, putting somebody like Tom Wilson in his place uh, had had a certain positive effect in addition to all of the sort of grotesqueries of, of fighting. Which I don't is know if weird. I buy that, but, but it's, it's an argument so, that people are making. It's ridiculous that, like, if you were, like, if any other sport, like, oh, yeah, no, we have one pitcher on our roster whose job it is to hit guys. Or, like, oh, we have, <laughs> like, like the, 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 the long snapper is actually also in charge with penaltying back when we get penalty. Like, it's just, it's kind of wild. I like how yeah. also how, like, you know, people were forced into becoming goons because of capitalism. I think that's really fun. Like economic I do, I, I do think it does feel like, yeah, sort of like this very tragic story of, yeah, like you said, economic conditions forcing you into unsafe labor practices and not having like, Osho was not necessarily consulted on the work conditions of uh, <laughs> goons back in the, in the 70s and 80s. You know, um, they probably would have been like, Maybe don't wrap your knuckles in uh, in metal before going to a fight. That's fun. Um, so yeah, so that's good. So so and the, to, to be clear, the thing like a fight. While we have a few minutes left, like in terms of the code, like fighting is just holding the other guy and hitting them. It's not like launching Mr. Panarin over your shoulder and onto the no, ice. No, it's not. It's not like pro wrestling, which I think was another element of the of the Tom Wilson thing that made people so upset. Was he grabbed Panarin, who weighs so much less. Uh, and is so much smaller and just sort of ragdolled him down onto the ground where you're not going to get that. I mean, you will see flailing for sure because sure. it's like grown men trying to grapple while wearing knives on their feet on an icy surface. You're going to get, you know, the stability factor is not necessarily um, the best under those circumstances. But yeah, it really is the the procedure of it is you drop the gloves you try to kind of size up the guy, figure out, is he a lefty or a righty, you know, and try to figure out, okay, where's my best opportunity? And you, you'll see this where they're, they're sort of skating around each other, sizing each other up, and then one of them makes the move to grab the jersey. And then you want to grab the jersey, and you want to be able to make sure that their hand is not free to throw punches and that your hand is. And gosh, if you could get their helmet off, because it does hurt to, to punch a helmet. Uh, so if you could somehow get their helmet off, but keep yours on, uh, and if you get your jersey off, oh man, then you've really um, gotten the, the edge uh, in, in this altercation. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then you just go around and, and try to kind of awkwardly throw punches with your free hand while grappling with the other one until one or both of you loses your balance and you fall down and the referees step in and, and break it up at that point. They don't let you you know, hit the guy. It's not like MMA where it's like, you're not, you know, submissioning <laughs> someone while they're on the ground uh, by punching them in the face repeatedly. Uh, and really the referees, if, if it looks like the fight is starting to kind of die down also, even if you're still on your feet or whatever, and, and you're just like lost your stamina or there's just nothing left to really grab onto or whatever, they'll jump in and they'll end it. You know, they want it to, it's a little like stoppage time in soccer where it's like, sure. they'll let you keep going <laughs> if it looks like a, an attack is developing. But then when it kind of dries up, <laughs> they'll like stop things and, and kind of put it in their place. So there That's is like a code, uh, you know, the, the, um, Generally, I think there's not even like hard feelings necessarily. I mean, obviously, there are certain 
high profile exceptions. But I think in a lot of cases, especially when it was goon on goon and it was just like, mm. this is your designated job. There wasn't necessarily like too much hard feelings between them. It was just basically like, this is the job that we have chosen to do. <laughs> it's like one of the, and we're going to do it. It's like one of the, like the animals on the Flintstones being like squawk. It's a living. Like. It's a living. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, right. Exactly. It's sort of like, you know, the it was a fraternity i think in some ways like the um the the enforcers all sort of like knew each other and they respected each other um and and there was that sort of mutual you know admiration that they had because they felt like this is a job that is a hard job nobody else wants to do it i think there was a certain amount of disdain for the more talented players that like didn't do it and it was sort of this feeling of like well we're the ones that are going to do the dirty work get our hands dirty <laughs> and, you know you hear marty mcsorley so i was watching a documentary where um he and, and other goons were talking about maybe we can link it in the description i'll have to figure out what it was called uh but basically this documentary about the heyday of the goons and you hear the way they set it up maybe lends itself to this because they're like uh in a dimly lit possibly italian restaurant where they're interviewing <laughs> these guys but the way they talk is like they're they're mafia members you know talking about like well we did what we had to do you know we did the dirty work so and 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 nobody else asked questions so i think that uh it's an easy era to go back and kind of romanticize uh if you're an old-time hockey fan uh and there was a lot of bad with it, I think uh, in general, the phasing out of goons and fighting uh, more so has been a positive for the game, uh, a positive development. But um, it, it it certainly defined multiple decades of hockey, you know, sort of having that as an element in the game. And I think like in the popular consciousness a lot, too. Like, I yeah. think that like it really did, like it is the only major American sport, at least I'm trying to think, like baseball. Sometimes you have fights, but those in- invariably end in like very oh, large ejections. Right. And there's really not like punches. I mean, uh, you you really don't have that much time to throw punches after charging the mound before the bench is clear and they pull everyone away. And then there's a lot of posturing and a lot of hold me back. I'm there's totally going to punch this guy. Yeah, right. <laughs> Don't yeah. let me get to him. I swear uh, I'll punch him. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do gonna it. Do- <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, and then there's that and then just like actually martial combat sports. But yeah, no, I mean, it is a unique thing about the game that has been interesting. I've seen a bunch of it. Tonight was great, honestly, because I knew it was coming and I was like, it's one of those situations where I made sure to tune in exactly at seven uh, to make sure that I caught the, the puck drop. And you did not miss a second of it, <laughs> it turns nope. out. <laughs> yeah, no, I uh, I needed to be there right at the beginning. But um. So, you know, we have one more week. Next week will be the last of our regular season. Um, any games that, like, I mean, it's just that last slot, right? So any any games that people should watch this coming week? Yeah, really, there's not necessarily much mystery about who's going to make the playoffs. Like we had said, the only uh, big outstanding race, if you could even call it, is Nashville against Dallas. But it seems almost certainly like it's going to be Nashville that takes that. Uh, and so they're playing Carolina a few times, so maybe that will, you know, have some impact on the race, but probably not. Dallas has, I believe, Chicago a couple times. Uh, you're going to get a few more Vegas versus Colorado, a few more Tampa versus uh, Florida, which has been like a really interesting series this year uh, and, and probably a playoff preview. A lot of people are high on Florida. It's fun how 
even like the New York Times wrote a story about the Florida Panthers, which Ooh. you know when that happens, they're they're on someone's radar. But <laughs> I don't know. I think we're all just kind of waiting for the regular season to be over, and uh, specifically just for the North uh, Division to be over and <laughs> figure out the schedule around how that how that's going to work for the playoffs. There we go. All right. So that's about all that we have. Uh, Neil, you're at five thirty, and of course, GitHub.com slash Neil538. Slash Neil Payne538. You're going to have updating up throughout the playoffs, I imagine? Yeah, I'm going to try to. I have to rewrite some code. So the way I short-sightedly in January, (laughs) I wrote my simulations to uh, to not to, to kind of do all the games in a series at once rather than one by one, mm. uh, which is great when you're trying to run it fast, uh, you know, and you don't care like who cares whether it goes seven games or four games in the series. <laughs> However, the, it turns out that when you're going to try to update every day as games are happening in real playoff time in, in real time, you do need to actually be able to account for certain games happening and changing the the um, the status of the series. So I'm gonna have to rewrite that. We might be out of commission a little bit for a few days early in the uh, in the playoffs. I've I've missed a few updates uh, recently also because I've been on deadline on on Monday mornings writing about baseball. Ew, baseball. Uh, so, so apologies to all the people out there that I'm sure um, were checking the GitHub uh, obsessively, but I backfilled all the, the the few missing days. So we do have what the playoff odds were on that day, uh, retrospectively, even if uh, I didn't upload them on that particular <laughs> day. Well, that's good. So GitHub, everything's up to date. And again, it sounds like you're supering up the model for the playoffs. <laughs> yes, it's going to be new and improved. Not really, uh, not really even improved, not even a change, just sort of like logistically, <laughs> it will work, <laughs> which I guess is an improvement because right now it, it wouldn't. So <laughs> yeah, so it's upgraded. Yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I'm on Twitter and at a newsletter called Numlock and Insider. And uh, yeah, have a great week, everybody. Bye. Your time is up, my time.